0: Well, good morning. Welcome, CCC. So great to see all of you. I'm welcoming you, but you need to welcome each other. So turn around, find somebody, give them a fist bump, a wave, or an elbow bump. I didn't see it. All right. I saw somebody shaking there. Hey, how are you guys? Haven't seen you in a while. Good to see you. So uh, today, just to give you some warning, obviously this is different. What's he doing up there? This is way too early for him. We're giving you a trial run of what is going to be a change that we're going to make in October. Um, We had an opportunity to do that today. It just kind of showed up this morning, as far as I know, so, so we are calling an audible, just so you know. So let's, uh, let's bow our head in prayer. You pray with me as we invite the Lord's presence uh, here today. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace, your kindness to us. Lord, your amazing grace, and it is truly amazing. We thank you that we are the recipients of that. We pray today, Lord, as we uh, gather together that you would teach us through your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would bless the Word as it's taught. We pray that you would uh, begin to change our hearts to make us more like Jesus Christ, so that as we hear the Sermon on the Mount, we would say, that's what I want to be. So bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If there are any children, you can go to uh, Kingdom Seekers. So the title of the message today is Bankrupt and Happy. So my friend Dean Vitali and Mark Elstrand, I can hear, I can almost hear them saying to me, John, can you really be bankrupt, and happy? And the answer is, yes, as long as you understand that no amount of your spiritual capital is worth anything. So that, so that what you owe is always going to be greater than you can pay. But imagine this, if you're willing to admit your bankruptcy, then there's someone who actually will pay your tab. They'll actually pick up your bill. We're, we're looking today at that very first beatitude. The word beatitude means blessed, and that's, that's kind of how they all start, blessed. And the first one is Matthew 5, 3, and it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I have have three points this morning, and it comes in the form of three questions. The first question is, comes right out of the text, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? The second one, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And then thirdly, what is the kingdom of heaven? So let's tackle first that first question. What does it mean to be blessed? We said before the, the word blessed is the word beatitude. And, and, and here, how, this is how it's defined. A beatitude... Is a state of bliss, happiness, or joy? I said last week, this is the way you should start all of those Beatitudes. You are fortunate if... So let me read it again with that beginning. You are fortunate if... You are poor in spirit... For yours is the kingdom of heaven. The opposite, the opposite of being blessed is a state of sadness, a state of unhappiness, even, even wretchedness. So I said, you are fortunate if, listen to this, you are miserable if you are You are rich in spirit, for you will miss the kingdom of heaven. The whole idea here is uh, the, the unbeliever doesn't realize that he is trying to attain something that he can't attain. I don't know if you remember um, Bernie Madoff. Do you remember Bernie Madoff? Bernie Madoff basically had had an investment firm that he began a long time ago, but eventually his firm had the largest Ponzi scheme in the whole history of the world. Billions of dollars, celebrities, Wall Street people, High-end people were waiting in line to invest in Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme. I I had a friend in New York who actually gave a check to a representative of Madoff. And the day that Madoff was arrested, he called his friend that he had given the check to to see if he could get it back, and it turned out that the person that he had given it to put it in a drawer and forgot about it. So he actually, he actually didn't lose money. But billions of dollars were lost in that Ponzi scheme. And guess what? This is, this is how they categorized the whole thing. They said it was all based on a big lie. See, there's an even bigger lie that's taking place in our world. And, and, and people are trying to achieve something that's impossible for them to achieve. You can call it fulfillment. Here's what the Bible calls it. The Bible calls it eternal life. It's, it's, it's a fulfilled life. It's a whole life. It's the life you and I were supposed to have. But it can't be purchased. Not by us. But people are tr- they're trying to find this sense of fulfillment. When we studied the book of Romans, remember when we studied the book of Romans? In the book of Romans, I laid out for you three kinds of people and the tracks that they move down to try to f- find fulfillment or, or acceptance, approval, what Ray Stedman calls self esteem. Feeling good about yourself. First, there's a group of people, and and they pursue it through pleasure. And they assume that if they can achieve enough pleasure, then they will be fulfilled. Then there's a whole group of people that want to feel superior, and they're the moralists, and, and they try to establish a standard for themselves, and then they look down on everyone else, and that makes them feel good. And then, what Jesus finds the hardest group of all to reach are the religious people. And, and there's a thousand different religions in the world. And here's what they're all after. They're all looking for approval. Ultimately, they're looking for approval from God. And, and, and they are believing the big lie that, that we as human beings can achieve that, that sense of blessing, that sense of fulfillment, that joy, that happiness, that good fortune, that we can do it on our own. I think of it like this. You know, if, I don't know if you've ever played dice. I don't know if that's not allowed here, but in every, in every game of dice doesn't matter what game it is. I've never been to Vegas, and I've never been to a casino. So we're not talking about gambling. We're just talking about any game of dice. And, and you know what happens. The higher the number, the greater the value, right? The higher you roll the dice, and the higher the number. And, and so here's what I see people doing. They're rolling the dice they're rolling the dice through life. They're, they're hoping that this is it. Here's the sad reality. Did you ever hear the phrase snake eyes? <laughs> In a game of dice, when you get snake eyes, it's over. Do you know, if, if, if you haven't had the currency that's been provided Through Jesus Christ, the last roll of the dice of every human being is snake eyes. So what does it mean to be blessed? It means that you realize something that other people don't realize. You realize that you're bankrupt, You realize you have no spiritual capital to bring before God. But you realize that that God himself has provided a way for your debt to be paid. And, And you can live in a state of bliss knowing that that's been taken care of. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Here's what it doesn't mean. And, and people, people don't get this. Ted, you know what Ted Turner said about Christians? He said, Christianity is for losers. Here's a, here's a common expression that people say. Well, Christianity is just a crutch. Let me tell you some of the things that poor in spirit doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you're a loser. Number two, it doesn't mean you need a crutch. Sometimes people say, well, I, I've even heard Christians say, yeah, Christians are grabbing hold of a, a crutch. This is the way I look at it. We, have, we are in a caste. <laughs> we're in a spiritual caste. Why? Because, because where we were crooked, where we were broken, has been put in place. We're whole. We're not completely healed, right? We're not completely healed, but, but we have become new creations, and here's what God is doing over the course of our life. He is healing us. I'm being healed. You're being healed. If you've come to Jesus Christ, you're in the process of being healed by the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't mean you're a loser, it doesn't mean you need a crutch. It doesn't mean you're dumb or stupid or unintelligent or unskilled. Do you know that they've defined culture, and they say culture can be identified by seven different mountains. If, if you want to look to see if a culture is really flourishing, then, then all of these mountains in a culture must be flourishing. Here are the seven. There's religion, there's education, there's family, there's government, there's media, there's arts and entertainment, and then there's business. Do you know, I know Believers, I know Christians, in every one of those seven mountains. And, and they're at various places. Some are at the bottom of the mountain. Some are halfway up the mountain. Some are at the top. We, we have some wonderful believers who are in education, focus on the family, many wonderful uh, instructors, teachers. Great material, great resources on the family. Amazingly enough, there's some in government. And God has put them there. And they are being salt and light in those places. Amazingly enough, they're in media. It seems to be shrinking all the time, doesn't it? But we have them there. There are many wonderful believers who, who in the place of, of delivering information that shapes the culture, they are salt and light in those places. Arts and entertainment, you know, what we think of as, as Hollywood or um, New York. And, and, and all of the plays that come out of that Broadway. There are wonderful Christians there. Even though they are greatly outnumbered, they stand out. God has them there. And then, frankly, there's a lot in business. Thank God for that. If, if you think about the disciples, right, right? Most of the disciples were entrepreneurial businessmen. Jesus ministered to the outcasts, to the poor, to the people that were rejected. But but when he engaged in ministry, think about it. Most of the disciples were entrepreneurial businessmen. And they were pretty good at it, what they did. And you know why it's so important that we have Christians in business? And, and if you're in business, God bless you. Don't, don't think that I'm in ministry and you're in business. The greatest ministry actually takes place, as far as I'm concerned, in business. And here's why. Because if you look at all the other six mountains, you know who pays the ticket for the others? Business. Business is paying the ticket for all of the other mountains of culture um, and, and business. I, I shared with a group of leaders, I, I do some consulting with companies. And they said, one of, the, one of the questions that came up in the course of our meeting, because I'm, I'm training them um, on relational leadership. I'm, I'm training them on biblical leadership, but we call it relational leadership because that's what it is. And, and one of them said to me, because, because he knew that I had kind of semi-retired, although a friend of mine says, John, you're good at a lot of things, but retirement isn't one of them. Actually, I've created a whole new category. I'm not retired. I'm in serendipity mode. You know what that means? I only take assignments that I want to. So, so some of you that are approaching that age when people typically retire, you should start saying to yourself, I'm aiming for serendipity. And I'm, I have to tell you something. Linda and I are enjoying serendipity. Uh, I look at her all the time, and I go, this is why I married you. <laughs> it was just you and me. We're having a ball. But, I, but one of the guys said to me, he said, he said, do you miss ministry? I said, no. He said, why not? I said, because I'm still doing it. I'm doing it with you guys here today. And I encouraged them, and I said to them, listen, you have the greatest opportunity in the world to affect change in our culture, more so than, more so than pastors. And, and so I just, I wanted to encourage them. But, but my, po- my point is, going back to that point, it doesn't mean you're dumb or stupid or unintelligent or unskilled. When when we say I proudly say I'm poor in spirit. Why? Cuz I I have my eyes wide open. I understand I can't pay that ticket that's going to that's going to grant me favor with God. I don't have that kind of capital. Here's if that's what it doesn't mean, here's what it means said this already, but I need to repeat it, It means you don't, if, if you are poor in spirit, and by the way, it's poor in the spirit of this world, and that means you don't think like everyone else, you know, this is important, you know you're blind, you know you're lost, you know you're unworthy. You know you're sick. You know you need healing. You know that you need to have what's misshapen put back in place. So, simple terms. Can you you imagine living a life and thinking everything's fine and going to the doctor and finding out you have cancer? That's what it's like to discover that you are a sinner. It's it's very humbling, but at least you know. And, And it's good to know. Because if you know you're blind, then you know you need to go to a doctor that can do something about it. And we have such a Savior. And then, I mentioned before, Madoff. All those people that invested with Bernie Madoff, they were duped. They were tricked. And here's what it means. Here's what it means when you're a believer. It means you can't be tricked by the world system. That more and more, you're on to what Last week we talked about the invisible war and that the mastermind behind the kingdom of darkness is Satan, the devil, the evil one. And and he does most of his work. He doesn't do most of his work by possessing people. He does most of his work by influencing people through the culture, through the world system. Remember we quoted from 1 John chapter 5. It says, the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. And and the word picture there in 1 John 5 is of a mother nursing its child, her child. That's, That's how much influence the evil one has over this world. Here's what it means. You can't be tricked. You can't be disillusioned. Imagine the the disillusionment when people found out that they were part of a Ponzi scheme and they had invested a million dollars and now it's all gone. That's what it's going to feel like for people at the end of their life when they have leaned their ladder to get to the top and they've leaned their ladder against the wrong building. And then it also means we can't be discouraged. Right? I mean, we're going to have discouraging times. We're going to have discouraging moments. But here's what we know. God has his hand on everything in our lives. Everything in our lives is covered by the protection of our great God and our great King. So it means we can't be tricked, disillusioned, or discouraged. Here's what it means. It means that none of us will live a life of futility. Do you know what futility is? Futility is working for something or investing in something that in the end turns out to be nothing. Listen to Paul as he writes in Ephesians chapter 4. Do we have it, Paul? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. Listen to what he says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. And here it's the nations. It's the people. Gentiles is just a euphemism here for the people that don't know God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the people who do not know God walk. Listen to this. In the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And here's here's why. This is the reason why their lives are futile, due to the hardness of heart. People in this world, people in the world system, the worldlings that you rub shoulders with every day, Their hearts are hardened towards God. But you, you are fortunate because because God has softened your heart. You don't have that hard heart anymore. They have become callous and have given themselves up to every kind of desire. It says sensuality here, but but it's every pursuit, every desire away from God, other than God. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Here's, here's another thing you know. Besides the fact that you don't think like everyone else, you can't be tricked, disillusioned, or discouraged, you know that there's more to life than today. Right? Do you know this is just a dot in eternity. This, this is just a small amount of time. Paul calls it, you know, this, this present suffering that we're going through but it's but compared to eternity it's just a light load it seems like a heavy load doesn't it sometimes but it's just a light load and then this is so wonderful doesn't make sense i told you last week it's an upside down truth but you are blessed because more and more you become bankrupt and more bankrupt, and you become more happy over time. Listen, listen to Paul's testimony. (laughs) At the beginning of his ministry, here's what he says about himself. He says, I am the least of all the apostles. All right, well, that's not bad. (laughs) I'm the least of all the apostles. You know, there's, there's uh, Peter and James and John and and then I'm at the end of that line. And then in the middle of his ministry, here's what he writes. He says, I am the least of all the saints. <laughs> wow, Paul, what happened? I, I just discovered, I discovered I'm much more needy than I thought. But you know what? I discovered much more grace Than I deserve. I have a friend, and and someone comes to them and and you know they feel bad about themselves, and so they pour out their heart to him, and he looks at them and he says, Cheer up, it's worse than you think. So, so he's discovering. And then at the end of his ministry, he writes to young Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and listen to what he says. I'm the chief of sinners. <laughs> One of the great things that happens to you over the course of time is you're like, wow. Like, I've, I'm old enough to look in the rearview mirror and go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. It, so, so the great thing over the course of time, you're going to find less and less of that spiritual capital, but you're also going to discover more and more of the grace of God. Let me give you quickly some general guidelines about these Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are a description of what every Christian is meant to be. The right reaction on reading the Beatitudes is to say, this is what I say, I want to be like that. I want to live that kind of life. That's the life I want. All Christians are meant to manifest these characteristics. We should begin to see these things in each other. None of these characteristics refer to a natural tendency. There are people that that appear, because of their kind of general personality, they appear to almost come close to these. There will be people that say to me, oh, I know a guy that's not a Christian, and he actually lives more like the Beatitudes than some Christians I know. Well, that's just his natural disposition. That's not the Sermon on the Mount, None none of the things described in Matthew 5 through 7, especially in the Beatitudes, refer to a natural tendency. And for someone like me, that's a good thing. Because I'm not that passive person. My natural disposition is the opposite of most of the Beatitudes. Honestly. (laughs) It really is. If, If you had met me in my late teens or early 20s, you'd be like... What is wrong with that guy? But, but you know what? Like Paul, I've, over the course of time, seen more and more of my own spiritual bankruptcy. And you know what? More and more, I'm filled with the joy of the Lord. Number four, these descriptions show the complete difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Number five, the Christian... We talked about this last week. The Christian and the non-Christian belong to two entirely different kingdoms. Last question, quickly. So what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? And what is the kingdom of heaven? Ultimately, there's two answers to this. Ultimately, the kingdom of heaven is eternity in heaven with Jesus. It has boundaries. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, part of the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer is your kingdom come. So, so, Lord, make your kingdom come. That kingdom of righteousness. So, there is a literal kingdom of heaven and someday it's going to be here. But here's what it means also. Right now, In the Gospels, when Jesus was here, the kingdom of heaven is the presence of Jesus. You say, well, Jesus isn't here anymore. Yes, he is. How's he here? Right there. You know why you are the kingdom of heaven? Because you are an ambassador. You're an ambassador of the King. And wherever you go, you take the presence of Jesus. And you take the kingdom of heaven with you. And when people, when people are in your life, they are experiencing, if you are living the way these beatitudes call for you to live, people are experiencing the kingdom of heaven in you. One of the things you're going to hear about in the next few weeks is a phrase called oikas. Oikos. It's a Greek word, and, and basically um, it, means, it means your circle of friends and family. And wh- I want you to start thinking about this now. That's your oikos. And we're, we're going to have in the second part of the service, we're going to call that oikos time. And, and very simply, what we want you to do is start thinking about those four, five, six, eight probably at the most 15 people in your Oikas circle that, that you want to see impacted, that you want to bring with you to CCC. But we'll tell you more about that as time goes by. Last, a couple weeks ago, we, last week actually, we celebrated 9-11. The same day we celebrated 9-11 in Afghanistan, the, Afga- the Taliban raised the Taliban flag over the embassy that we had? Do you know that do you know that, that was our property? <laughs> do you know that an embassy is actually the property of the country that has an ambassador there? Do you know that in the same way you are an ambassador and, and God has called you to represent him Jesus Christ, you take the kingdom of heaven with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. Lord, we are so blessed because we are bankrupt in anything that could get us approval before you, but you have purchased our debt. You have purchased each of us. We belong to you, So, Lord, thank you for the promise, not just of heaven someday, but of living in the light of the kingdom of heaven now as we represent our great King. And it's in his wonderful name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.